Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Praise Band, for leading us in worship. We've had a good start to our day and hope we'll have a, a good conclusion as well. A few weeks ago, we started a series entitled Generations as we are preparing to celebrate our 130th church anniversary on October 17th. The theme of our 130th anniversary is from generation to generation. You know, I was thinking about First Baptist Church and how God has blessed First Baptist Church really with a wonderful and supernatural unity throughout the generations. And I'm so thankful that our church has had that heritage of having a church being unified. But you know, unity does not just happen. It, it needs to be intentional. We have to intentionally preserve and protect the unity of the church. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I love to listen to, said this, Our first and chief concern as Christians should be to guard and preserve this precious and wondrous unity of the Spirit. Our first duty is to guard this unity, to preserve it at all cost, to strain every nerve and be diligent in endeavoring to keep it and manifest it. Now, I don't know when the last time you've taken a look at our church covenant or our core values, but I want to take a few moments to kind of look back at a couple of those uh, statements from our church uh, covenant. And let me just read to you the, the opening statements. Having, by God's grace, been led to repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and to surrender our lives to His Lordship, and having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit upon profession of faith, and having joined our lives together as members of First Baptist Church, we reverently and intentionally make the following commitments. Now, I'm not going to read all those today, but I want to read two of them to you. And these are two things that we commit to do. We commit to work for and protect the unity of the church to bring Him glory as the body of Christ. We commit to love one another, remembering that Jesus said that all men will know we are his disciples if we have love for one another. And then if you were to go back and look at our core values, we emphasize the unity and the focus of unity in the church and relationship. We say in our core values, we value our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God. So we value relationships. We value unity at First Baptist. But did you know that there are a lot of churches that over a period of time they'll split up and break up for whatever reason. And sometimes you can even see in a church name that it, that it has been through a church split at some time in its past. I know of a church, the name of the church is Majority Baptist Church. I don't know why they split, but I do know who the majority was. And so uh, a church that doesn't stay unified will not make it from generation to generation. You know, I heard about a, a young man who went on a blind date and he wanted to impress his date. And so he said, and I'm going to make sure I turn my phone on silent just so everybody knows that. I don't want it to go off. But anyway, I heard about a young man who went, he wanted to impress his date. And so he wanted to take her out in his boat on a beautiful lake. And so they went out and they were having a wonderful day, just enjoying the beauty of the day. And uh, suddenly he hit an uh, uh, undercut rock. He didn't see it. And she, his date fell overboard. And so he wanted to be the hero. He wanted to come to her rescue. He wanted to come to her aid. And so he reached out to try to pull her back into the boat. He reached out to grab the only thing he could, which was her hair. And he grabbed her hair, and when he did, it came off. It was a wig. 
And so then he said, oh, i got to try something else. So he reached back out and he grabbed the next thing he could get a hold of and he grabbed her by the arm. And when he did, her artificial arm came off. So then he reached back out and he tried to grab the next thing he could get a hold of and it was her leg. And when he did, her artificial leg came off. And he said, now, honey, if I'm going to save you, you got to stay together. <laughs> well, let me just say this. If God is going to use First Baptist Church, we have got to stay together. We have got to stay unified. Now, anytime there are more than a couple of people in a relationship, there's always that possibility of division and conflict. There's always a possibility of tension when there are two or more people in relationship. That's just reality. I mean, we have differences. We have different opinions, different tastes, different preferences. We, we just have differences. And whenever you become a follower of Christ, it doesn't remove all those differences, does it? We're still different. We still have those possibilities and potential for conflict. Well, when you start reading about the Corinthian church, they were no different. I mean, that church was birthed in a very wicked city. The, the, the city of Corinth was a very wealthy city, but it was a very idolatrous city. I mean, I mean, pagan temples peppered the landscape in Corinth. We were there a number of years ago. It was one of the most sexually indulgent cities in the ancient world, according to some historians. The, the term to Corinthianize would be used for someone who prostituted themselves. That's what the, the, the environment was like in Corinth. And so the Corinthian church had some very big problems. They had some major problems, and these are just some of them. And when you look at the, if you were to read the whole book of 1 Corinthians, you would see them. They had people who were getting drunk at church services. Families were very dysfunctional. Marriages were falling apart. People were abusing their spiritual gifts. Church members were suing one another. There were some members who were committing sexual immorality in the church. And you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There were just a lot of things going south in the Corinthian church. There were a lot of things that weren't going very well, but Paul's first concern, out of all those things, his number one concern was division in the church. The division. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 18, Paul says this, For first of all, now I just gave you a list of all the problems. And he says, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must be factions among you. What he means is there are cliques in the church. There are factions in the church. And I believe it's true. You know, one of the primary uh, areas of division was over whether they should eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols or not. So one group said, you know, you should not eat meat that had been offered to idols. And another group said, you, it's okay to eat meat uh, sacrificed to idols because we're free in Christ. And so the, there was a division that was taking place. So you had the all meat eaters and the no meat eaters. And so one side would say it like this. If you really love God, if you were truly committed to Christ, you would not eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And then the other group would say, well, you know, if you really trusted Christ, you would know that an idol doesn't mean anything because it's not real. So when you sacrifice meat to an idol, it has no value. It doesn't do anything. We're free in Christ. We have our confidence in Christ. And so this issue became very divisive in that Corinthian church, and it began to bring dysfunction. And so the Corinthian church was on the verge of a big breakup. Now you might be thinking, well, you know, it's kind of ridiculous to be divided over meat, you know eating meat or not eating meat. But have you ever thought about the things that we divide over? I mean, what do we discuss? What do we divide over? 
We divide over vaccinated versus unvaccinated. We divide it over mask or no mask. One side will say, well, if you loved others, then you would get a vaccine. If you loved others, you would wear a mask. Other people will say, well, if you trusted God, you wouldn't trust a vaccine. If you trusted God, you wouldn't trust a mask. We have these divisions in the church. And the reality is, if you want to wear a mask, you should. If you want to get a vaccine, you should. And if you don't, you shouldn't. But Paul's first concern was the lack of unity in the church. And if you are not united over the important things, then you will not be united over the lesser things. And so unity is key. And this Corinthian church was on the verge of a big breakup when Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible turned on or open, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? And I want us to discover how to avoid the big breakup. I want us to learn how to protect the unity of the church. And let me just say this before we get started. Every one of us has the responsibility of protecting the unity in the church. That's our responsibility. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now let me just say, Paul believed these were authentic followers of Jesus Christ. He called them the church. Ecclesia, that's the word he used, the called out ones. He called, them, he called them sanctified. They were set apart for Christ's purposes. He called them saints. They were called to be holy, to live differently than the world. He believed that their relationship with Christ was authentic. But despite their faith in Christ, they were still on the verge of a big breakup. Look at verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge. And even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some wonderful verses. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, Now I plead with you, I implore you, I beseech you, I entreat you, I exhort you, I beg you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, well, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the, whole, the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made no effect. Now, the very first thing I want you to see this morning 
is the, if we're going to avoid a big breakup, we need to see the author of our unity. The author. Look at verse 9. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is the author of our unity. He called you and he called me into the fellowship of his Son. He is the one who authored our unity. You know, that word fellowship is a very interesting Greek word. You probably know it because it's been stated a lot over the years. The word is koinonia. It means fellowship. But it doesn't mean the fellowship like we had this morning when we had our, our Connect Group kickoff where we had coffee and donuts. That wasn't the fellowship he was talking about. He's talking about fellowship around a common cause or a common source. Well, Jesus is the common source for our unity. He is the, 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 the unifying factor for you and me. The one thing that unites all of us, despite our differences in the faith, is our relationship with Jesus. He is the author of our unity. And there's a reason why God authors unity. There's a reason why he demands unity in the church. Now, what are those reasons? Well, I'll give you three. Number one, unity in the church is purposeful. Unity is purposeful. There is a purpose for our unity. Unity in the church is reflective of the unity in the Trinity. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. In the Trinity, there is perfect harmony and diversity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all functioning in diversity in one Godhead. You know, it would be better and more applicable to say the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit are a triunity. They are three in one. Three persons in one Godhead. And that's what, what we see in the, in, the, in the triunity. And in the triunity, there's perfect love. In the triunity, there's perfect communion. In the triune God, there's perfect submission. Perfect communication. Wouldn't you like per perfect communication? There's perfect interdependence. There's perfect unity of purpose. The triunity is uni united in their essence and in their work. Let me give you an example. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are united in their love for you. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is united in the sacrifice paid for you. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are united in their salvation of you. The triune God is united completely in his purpose. And when we look at the church, it's a representation of the unity that's in the Trinity. The church is really a supernatural entity, or an example of the unity that you would find in the Trinity. One unifying factor, unifying all of us from different backgrounds, all of our diversity, unified in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 tells us why we should be unified as believers. Now, you don't need to look this verse up, but just write it down, Ephesians 3. It says that we need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, why should we endeavor to do that? Here's why. Because there's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Paul used the word one seven times in those few verses. He emphasized unity. He put an exclamation point on unity. One, one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Do you know why Paul repeats that phrase over and over? Because he wants you to see how absurd it is for us not to have unity. One, 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 
One. One. Why is unity so important to Jesus? Because Jesus staked his reputation on the unity of the church. Did you know that? In John chapter 17, verse 21, when Jesus was praying his high priestly prayer, this is what he prayed. He said that they, they means you and me and all the followers of him, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. But why does Jesus want us to be unified? He says it later, that the world may believe that you sent me. He staked his his. His, his reputation on the unity of the church, that the world would believe that you sent me because we're unified. And when the body of Christ is not unified, it calls into question his claim to be the Savior of the world. He staked his credibility on the unity of the church. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, the gospel is a message of reconciliation and peace with God. How can the world be convinced that Christ reconciles us to God if we're not reconciled to each other. Unity is purposeful, but it's also powerful. Look at verse 5. He says to this Corinthian church, you were enriched in everything by him. And then in verse 7, he says, so that you come short in no gift. You see, the Corinthian church had everything they needed to be successful in ministry. They had every resource at their disposal to be productive in the ministry. But their effectiveness was being hindered by division. See, these believers in Corinth, they were more concerned about getting their own way than they were the reputation of Christ. That's why they were suing each other, because they just wanted their way. They were more interested in themselves rather than the cause of Christ. You know, the main reason for division in a church is selfishness. It's ego. Ego is one of the main reasons for division in the church. It goes like this. I have to get my way or I take my toys and go home. That's ego. John MacArthur was making a statement very similar. He said, there cannot possibly be harmony in a group, even a group of believers, whose desires, goals, purposes, and ideals are generated by their egos. Few things demoralize, discourage, and weaken a church as much as bickering, backbiting, fighting among its members. Now there's power when the church is unified. I don't know if y'all have ever, I don't even know if Peanuts is a a, a thing that you can read anymore, but but, um, Charles Stoltz uh, in his Peanuts cartoon strip one day told the story about Lucy. She came into the living room and Linus was sitting there watching TV. And so Lucy comes in and she says, change that channel. And Linus looks up and says, well, why should I change that channel? She said, well, I'll give you five reasons. One, two, three, four, five. She said, now, by themselves, there's not much to them. She said, but when I curl them together like this, they become an awesome force. And Linus says, what channel did you want me to change that to? And then he looks at his hand. He says, why can't you guys get together like that? Well, when we work together, we can accomplish some great things. Let me give you an example of that. In the Southern Baptist Convention, we have something called the cooperative program, and we talk about it some. And our church contributes to the cooperative program. All the Southern Baptist churches cooperate in giving to the cooperative program. And so we give 10 cents of every dollar that you give the First Baptist goes right back out to Ministry of Missions. 
to the cooperative program. And, and with all the other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, this is what that does. This is what you get to participate in. We send out 3,624 foreign missionaries. We support 857 new church plants in North America. We support six seminaries. You help fund North Greenville University, Charleston Southern University, and Anderson University. You help support Bethay Baptist Home over in Darlington, Martha Franks in the upstate. You help support the Connie Maxwell Children's Home when you give the First Baptist because we cooperate. It also helps to fund things like the South Carolina Baptist Disaster Relief or Sin Relief that we send to disaster areas like Louisiana and Tennessee and other places in our nation. But we could never do all those things alone. As one church, we could never accomplish alone what we get to accomplish together when we're unified in purpose. And there's power when we work together. So unity is purposeful, but it's also powerful. Unity is also practical. You know, the prophet Amos asked an important question in Amos 3.3. He said, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two people walk together unless they are agreed? No, they can't. If 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 they're going to work together, they must function in unity. Now, unity is not unison. Let me explain that for you. The praise band just a, just a moment ago led us in worship. They played in unity, but not in unison. I mean, Steve played the bass, John played the drums, Grayson played the guitar, uh, Amanda played the piano. They were playing in unity, but not in unison. They weren't playing the same thing. They were having different parts, but playing the same song. That's what it means when we're unified. We're different, have different parts and different roles, but we, we function in unity. And unity is not uniformity either. You know, uniformity is when you coerce somebody or pressure them to to look alike. For example, uh, uniformity is when you try to coerce people to look alike, dress alike, and talk alike. That's uniformity. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about unity, we're talking about supernatural inner influence of the Holy Spirit that brings unity in our diversity, in our differences. The Spirit unifies people with different gifts, different preferences, different personalities, different backgrounds, and he makes us one body in Christ. That's supernatural. So God is the author of unity. But the question this morning is, how do we work with God to cultivate unity in the church? How do we partner with the Holy Spirit to cultivate unity? And so the second thing I want you to see this morning is the anatomy of unity. We have the author of unity, and then we have the anatomy of unity. And Paul just kind of unpacks it right there in verse 10. So look at verse 10 for a moment. Paul said, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul was pleading for the church to have unity, and so he gave them this anatomy of what unity looks like in the church. So I'm going to give you four things real quick. Number one, the anatomy of unity begins with a unity in message. We need to be unified in message. Verse 10 says that we should speak the same thing. We need to have the same message. We need to have the same judgment, the Bible says later in that same verse. You know, that word judgment means to have the same opinion. It it basically means that we need to have the same similar convictions about issues. God has given you everything that you need, you and me, to speak truth to our culture. He's given you His Holy Spirit. He's given you His Word. What else do we need to speak truth to the culture and speak the same things? When somebody asks your opinion on a controversial thing that's going on in our world, you ought to be able to give them an answer that's consistent with the Word of God. 
He's giving you that resource. You know, one of the problems in churches is that people's opinions are guided by their feelings, their emotions, and their experience rather than the Word of God. Our opinions ought to be governed by the Word of God. If someone were to ask you for marriage advice, or they were to ask me for marriage advice, they ought to get the same kind of answer. Because we have the same source, don't we? We have the same spirit. We have the same Word of God. And they ought to be getting a similar answer. But one of the reasons our nation is in the shape that it is is because professing Christians don't speak the same thing. We don't speak the same thing when it comes to the LGBTQ movement. We don't speak the same thing when it comes to the issue of abortion. We don't speak the same thing when it comes to the issues of marriage. We need to be speaking the same things. Sometimes I read people's marriage advice on Facebook, and I don't look at Facebook much, but sometimes I'll read somebody giving somebody counsel about marriage, and they'll say things like this. You know, if you're not happy in your marriage, you just need to find somebody who will make you happy. They're they're more interested in replacing the person than in repairing the problem. Or sometimes I'll read this, you just need to follow your heart. You ever heard that? Why would I want to follow my heart? Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Why would I want to trust? Do you want to to trust somebody who's deceitful? Do you want to trust somebody who's desperately wicked? Why would we tell people to trust our heart? Listen, I cannot trust my heart, but I can trust the word of God. Can I get an amen right there? I can trust the Word of God. It's reliable. And so whenever we're given advice, we ought to go to the Word of God. The reason the world's so confused is because the church doesn't have the same judgment about these issues. Your convictions need to be formed by Scripture. Your feelings should be formed by Scripture and governed by Scripture. But you know, we have a unified message, don't we? The Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you and me. That's all of us. We have a unified message. Christ died for all. That's our message. We have a unified message. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. We have a unified message. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is our unified message. I'm so thankful that we have a message like that. The church must be unified in message, but it also must be unified in mind. You cannot be unified in message if you're not unified in mind. The church must be unified in mind. Paul said, be perfectly joined together in the same mind. Listen to these verses. You can just listen to them, write them down later. Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Philippians 3, 16. Let us be of the same mind. Philippians 4.2, be of the same mind in the Lord. 1 Peter 4.1, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Paul said, be perfectly joined together with the same mind. Those words, perfectly joined together, kind of give this idea of something being broken that needs to be fixed. It's like someone who's broken their arm and that bone needs to be set and then healed. That's the idea of being perfectly joined. It's the idea of a, of a fisherman who, who his net has gotten torn on a rock or something and he had to mend it and put it back together. What is that saying? It says our mind needs to be restored. Our mind needs to be healed. It is broken because it has been corrupted by the world and tainted by sin. And our minds need to be transformed by the word of God. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so your mind begins to be repaired, renewed, restored when it is transformed by the word of God. 
In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, We are to be of the same mind. People in Corinth were just living by their emotions, living by their opinions. And Paul said, be of the same mind. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means that we ought to have doctrinal unity. We ought to be in alignment doctrinally on the essential doctrines. Does that mean that we have to agree on every theological issue? No. But it does mean that there are some core essential uh, doctrines that we all must agree on. We must all be in alignment on. Let me give you some examples. I'm not going to give you all of them, but let me just give you some examples. For instance, we need to agree that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. That is our base. We need to be in alignment that we're all sinners and in desperate need of a Savior. We need to be in alignment that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and rose again on the third day. We must be in alignment that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. We need to be in alignment that God lives in every believer by the way of the Holy Spirit. We need to believe that God knits us together in the body of Christ through His Spirit. We need to agree that God has commissioned His church to make disciples of all nations. We need to be in agreement that one day, wouldn't it be great if it was today, one day, Jesus is going to return and take His bride home. And we will be together with him forever. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Would it be today? Oh, it'd be so great. I don't know about you, but I'd love it. There are some non-negotiables. And on, the, on these non-negotiables, we must be in alignment. Now, let me just say this. There is a time for division. When a church begins to deviate from those fundamental biblical doctrines that are crystal clear, then there is a time for division. Adrian Rogers used to say it this way, I would rather be divided over truth than united in error. There is a time for division. But most divisions are not doctrinal, they're personal. Most divisions are not doctrinal, they're personal. And Paul didn't say that we should never have a discussion about these doctrines that are kind of controversial. He said, yes, you can have, this, you know, you can have discussion on those things, but don't be divided over those things. You say, well, what would be an example of a controversial doctrine? Well, let me give you an example. Maybe this will enlighten you. People have different views on when the rapture is going to take place. Some people believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation. That's called a pre-tribulation rapture. Some people believe that Jesus is going to come back three and a half years into the tribulation. That's called a mid-tribulation rapture. Some people believe that Jesus is going to come back at the end of that seven years of tribulation. That's called a post-tribulation rapture. But what we do agree on is he's coming back. Now, I have a position on that. You may have a position on that. We might not agree, but we do not need to be divided over that issue. We need to be united in the reality that Jesus is going to come back one day. So we can discuss it, but we don't need to divide over it. And let me just say, churches that endure from generation to generation are full of people who refuse to divide over disputed things and choose to unite over clearly revealed truth. The Moravians used to have a motto, kind of sums up the attitude we should have about this. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. It's a good word. But we need to be unified in our message, unified in mind. We need to be unified in management. Look at verse 11. Paul said, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that those of Chloe's household 
that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, well, I am a Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Jesus Christ. That's who I'm of. And then Paul said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now let me, let me remind you, God has appointed pastors to be his overseers. We might call those the managers of the church. The overseers. That's what pastors do. But in the Corinthian church, they were divided on who they wanted to be their overseer. They were divided on who they wanted to be the, the pastor. Some preferred Paul to be their leader. He was a brilliant man. He was educated. He was an intellectual. And so when he preached, his messages really appealed to the intellectuals and the philosophers. And so those kind of thinkers said, hey, that's who I want. I want Paul. And then some people said, well, you know, I kind of like Apollos. I mean, Apollos is very charismatic. He's got a lot of energy. I mean, he can keep your attention. He can tell stories. He's funny. He, he's got energy and he's got charisma and he just keeps my attention. I want somebody like Apollos to be our pastor. Somebody said, well, you know, I, I think I'd just rather have Peter because, you know, he's kind of a down-to-earth kind of guy. He's a fisherman like us. He can, can relate to us. But he's a fireball. He's bold. He's courageous. I want somebody like Peter. I mean, he was a, he's one of the disciples too, right? That's who I want to be our pastor. And then some people say, well, you know, I'm kind of like a super Christian. I, I only follow Christ. I only follow Jesus. And that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? But in this context, it wasn't very biblical. Because you know what they were ultimately saying? They were ultimately saying, I refuse to be held accountable by any other authority. I refuse to be under anyone else's leadership. So what they were really saying was, I want to do as I please, when I please, and how I please, with no earthly accountability. They might say, don't tell me what to do, don't tell me when to come, and don't tell me how to live. And if you do, I'll go somewhere where they press less, preach less, and expect less. God has appointed overseers in his church to oversee it, to govern it. And let me just remind you that no overseer of any church is perfect, including this one. In fact, and I mean this with all sincerity, the most sinful person I know is me. And that's true. Because I don't know all your faults, but I know mine. The most simple person I know is me. No pastor, no overseer is perfect. And I'll remind you that no pastor ever pastors a church where everybody in the church is perfect. Who? Thank you, John Henry. <laughs> I appreciate John Henry. You know, a unified church is not contingent on the pastor. Unity says more about the people in the church than it does the pastor of the church. If a preacher is preaching the word of God, then you can support them. But spiritual maturity and spiritual unity says, I am going to do my part regardless of who the pastor is. Can you imagine a college football team where there are two quarterbacks, and the offensive line says, well, you know, we like one quarterback better than we do the other. And so when it comes time to block, we're just not going to block for the guy we don't like. And so in essence, what they're saying is, I will put my team in jeopardy because I don't want to support that particular quarterback. 
And there are some people who put their church in jeopardy because they don't want to serve alongside of somebody, whether it's some other leader or pastor in the church. They'll say, I just don't want to serve. I will put the church in jeopardy. I will not do my part. And we need to do our best for Christ regardless of who the quarterback is. And the reason that First Baptist has had such a, a heritage of unity has had more to do with the spiritual maturity of the people in the church than the pastor of the church. Because this church has been unified from pastor to pastor to pastor. It wasn't the pastor bringing unity, it was the Holy Spirit and the people being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So we need to be unified in the message, unified in mind, unified in management, and also unified in mission. And I'm not going to speak much on this right now. We'll talk about that later. But we must be unified in mission. What is our mission? To know Christ and to make him known. To know Christ and to make him known. Paul says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to do what? Preach the gospel of Christ. To preach the gospel. God has sent you out as his messengers to declare the good news of the gospel. We have a unified mission to know Christ and to make him known. That's our mission. And that's why we have connect groups on Sunday morning. That's why we have small groups on Sunday night because we want to know Christ and to make him known. You know, that's why we have all these children's ministries that we have at First Baptist. The Iwana, the preschool choir, preschool missions. Children's missions, children's choir, connect groups for children, children's church, is to make Jesus known to our children. That's why we do it. We have a unified mission. And we will never achieve that mission without being unified. And so as an invitation today, I want to give you some thoughts. Maybe you're here today And maybe you've been sitting in this pew and most of this doesn't even resonate. But maybe one thing did. Maybe you were sitting here and you thought, you know, God can't save a person like me. Look at all that I've done in my life. God can no way forgive me. But maybe you heard this morning, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe that's the part that resonated with you. And maybe this morning, that's you who needs to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe that's you who needs to do that. Maybe that's your response this morning. Or maybe you've been listening this morning and maybe you just haven't been real diligent to preserve the unity in the church. Maybe you haven't even thought about the unity of the church. And maybe this morning you need to make a commitment to be part of the unifying factor in the church. And maybe this morning you just need to come and surrender your will to Christ. Or maybe this morning you've just been harboring some hardness or bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart and that's been preventing you from being a part of the unity of the fellowship of the church. And maybe this morning you need to surrender that unforgiveness, that bitterness. And so as an invitation, maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you've been unwilling to speak the unifying message of the gospel of Christ. Maybe you've been afraid to do it. Maybe you thought, I can never do that. But then I listened and I realized that God has given us everything that we need to speak the message. And so maybe this morning you need to make a commitment to begin to share the unifying message 
of the gospel of Christ and do it boldly and courageously. And maybe that's the commitment that you need to make. So as we come to our invitation time, I want to ask you to respond. I want to pray for us. And as I do, I want you to be thinking in your heart how God wants you to respond. And then I want you to respond immediately and obediently. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the Apostle Paul having the vision, the heart. Thank you for the Holy Spirit putting it on his heart to to write such a wonderful letter to challenge us, to pursue unity, to give us the reasons why we're unified. Because we have an author of unity like you. And thank you for him giving us the really the, the anatomy of unity, what it looks like in the church, how we're unified in so many ways, in our message, in our mind, in our management, uh, Lord, in our mission. And so as we come to these moments, I just pray your Holy Spirit begin to work in our hearts and to help us to respond how you want us to. Help us to do it obediently and quickly. I just thank you for these moments we've had in worship. We just give this time to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. To every question.